Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. I sometimes wish I was born during the spiritualist movement. That'd be cool. You know, back in the mid 19th century when everyone was going to people's homes and having fun with seances. And they hadn't really debunked anything, you know, they all were believers. I, I like that. It'd be fun. It's almost kind of like our today's escape rooms. Where we have you been to one of those? I haven't where you been go to one, but you, you work together as a group to figure out mm-hmm. all the puzzles to get yourself out of the room. Right. Right. But, you know, in, in with a seance, though, you hold hands. <laughs> we couldn't do that with COVID-19 anymore. You, you rub feet under the table. Yeah. <laughs> so usually it's with a group of three or more people, and they sit in a circle at a table. Um, and the holding hands is really in order to create a bond of unbreakable energy. Mm-hmm which they say helps channel the spirits. Mm -hmm. Usually one leader of the group has a reputation for being able to communicate with the spirits of the dead and they lead everyone into this deep meditation, Mm -hmm. usually in a dimmed room with candlelights. So the ambiance is all special. And the darkness helps everyone see when the spirits manifest a white substance called ectoplasm. Sometimes a red light was allowed Uh, Because they didn't want, you know, accidents or something like that. So sometimes they would allow like a soft colored light, like red in the room. Okay. The darkness, they said, is why, you know, that helps put everybody into the mood. And if you've noticed, most spirits come around at night. Right. Well, the Fox sisters were credited to be the starting point of this great movement. When one day in 1848, Margareta, age 14, who was called Maggie, and her sister Kate, age 10, decided to tell a neighbor all the scary hauntings they were having in their family home. Cool. The neighbor agreed to come over to witness these strange noises they were having. The girls claimed around bedtime every night they would hear knocking on the furniture, the floor, and the walls surrounding them. Yes, but only... It was increasing with intelligent patterns. Yes, like that, (laughs) an intelligent pattern. As the two girls and her mother sat in the bedroom with the neighbor present, the mother started calling out questions, saying, If you hear me, count to five. It was like these thuds shaking the room. And she then asked for the spirit to count out the neighbor's age. And it responded with 33 raps. And we'll spare you the 33 raps. Because <laughs> no, no, that'll take no, a long time. No. <laughs> that'll take a long time to get through 33 knocks. Carol will be here all night. <laughs> yeah. The mother and the neighbor was convinced it was the devil. They started to call the entity Mr. Splitfoot. But the mother didn't think it was safe to stay in the home. Why Mr. Splitfoot? That's a cool name. I know. Well, it's their nickname for the devil. Splitfoot? Mr. Splitfoot. You know, like the devil's toes are split. Oh, because he's like a a a goat? Yeah. Like a hoof? Oh, my gosh. Mr. Splitfoot. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So the Fox family sent Maggie and Kate to live with their older sister, Leah, in Rochester, New York. 
That particular area was ripe for any type of spiritual discussion, and people at the time had already become interested in the art of mesmerism, which was introduced by Franz Anton Mesmer, an Australian healer who proposed that a guiding force of magnetic energy was present throughout the universe, including the human body. Oh, cool. By inducing a trance-like state, he could balance this magnetic fluid in the body and cure any illness the patient was experiencing. Oh, wow. This kind of art, like the original energy work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this art form became very popular among amateurs who claimed to have learned how to mesmerize people. And they were often hired to perform at parties in front of paying guests. And the reason why is because the participants who first became mesmerized claimed that they had traveled to other dimensions mm. and they had visions and encounters with spirits. So when they were brought back from their experience, it was really entertaining for people to hear their stories. Oh, cool. Now, leaders in the community, Amy and Ivy Post, who heard about the Fox sisters' story, were curious to investigate the home for any proof of evidence. The sisters claimed that they were communicating with the spirit of a dead peddler who had been murdered. After searching the cellar, they did find scraps of bone and some evidence of human hair. <laughs> Freaky. Ew. Yeah. Ooh. Grizzly. Yeah. Testing out the theory that one of the girls might indeed be a medium, the posts invited them to do a question-answer session at their home to see if they could communicate in a different location. Further convinced by the strange knocks and raps in answer to the questions they asked, it was then proposed to have them at a large community hall in town where 400 witnesses could view their paranormal talents. Cool. After the session, the girls had their clothes and bodies checked for any sign of tools used or outside ways of creating a hoax. So, like, um, if they had an earpiece in and somebody had a radio was telling them the answers, like, you know. Yeah, they <laughs> and they agreed to it because, you know, they didn't want to be accused of trickery. Sure, sure. You know, if you're up and up, you, you wouldn't mind a search like that. And skeptics couldn't find any evidence of any fakery. So soon the girls became famous, booking a permanent suite at Barnum's Hotel and conducting sessions every night in front of 30 paying guests at a large round table. That's what you and I should do. We should, we should be doing our tarot readings in front of audiences and wowing them. Don't you think? Yeah, I would just constantly do, wow, this doesn't look good. <laughs> I'd be like, have you made out your will? Because yeah. you should. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this looks very bad. Very bad for you. You have a very <laughs> bleak future ahead of you. Uh, that'll be $500. As time passed, the girls had quite a career going, managed by their older sister, Leah. However, due to the party scene and lack of true parenting, they were indulging quite a bit in the other kind of spirits. Leah increasingly became concerned about their drinking. Around 1888, Kate, who is now a parent herself, was deemed unfit for parenting due to her drinking and had her children taken away from her. Kate and Maggie felt that Leah was responsible for turning her in and were also quarreling about her tight control of their earnings. Around this time, Maggie, who had converted to Catholicism, felt the powers that they developed were inherently evil. A reporter who caught wind of their financial and other quarrels enticed them with an offer of $1,500 if they would expose their hoax. Wow, and that's give, a lot of money. Right, and give him exclusive rights to their story. That's, um, I don't even know what that would equate Back, to. Because that was, what, are you, was this like 1840s? 
It was like 1888. 1888. Yeah, that that's would be, a lot that's a lot of, of money. money. Yeah. Some suspected in a ploy to seek revenge against their sister Leah, they made up a way to debunk their own séances. It turns out that they could reproduce the sounds by cracking their knuckles and demonstrated this to a crowd of 2,000 people who came to see the girls at the New York Academy of Music. Maggie, though, recounted her admission just the following year, saying she just needed the money. But it was too late. Their reputation was absolutely ruined. Okay, so this is interesting because I always thought that the Fox sisters had actually been debunked for real. But you're saying that they made up the lie to get the money because they were actually communicating with the dead. Well, there is two sides to this. Okay. So some people really believe that they faked the whole thing. Uh-huh. Others believe they didn't. That actually it was Kate that was very a ta- was a very talented medium. I think that they were getting some authentic downloads. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they had developed a way... To make sure they were always consistent because, you know, if you think about it, that's high pressure to perform every night. Right. And make sure the spirits are always ready for you to talk sure. through them. And so I kind of feel like they came up with a way to no matter what convince people that they were legit. And put on a show. And put on a show. Mm-hmm. And so I do think a lot of these seances, no matter how authentic they started out to be, became eventually all fraudulent because nobody can keep that up all the time. I mean, if you think about it, I don't think psychics in general are psychic 100% of the time, all the time. Yeah. I think that you have to, from what I've seen and talked to from psychics have told me is that you have to train yourself to be able to turn it on and off. So you have to like meditate and open to it. And if you're somebody who is naturally psychic and intuitive you have to learn how to shut it off because it might be constantly coming at you. So you have to learn that switch mm-hmm. to turn it off and turn it on. So if you don't have that down, I can see how it may either just be gone or it's constantly on you all the time. And that's also why um, perhaps they turned to alcohol because it oh, was just too mm-hmm. much for them. And it was an escape to sure. kind of turn off the receiver. Yep. And alcohol will help to disconnect you from that energy. The fact is they never did get back their reputation. And it is widely known that most of these recorded seance performances were just elaborate displays of fake communication with the dead. But there are some compelling stories. And it does make you wonder how they could fool everyone for so many years. I think people want to believe when they are desperate enough. And some of these seances did seem to have credible information of departed loved ones. The wife of Abraham Lincoln, Mary Todd, often held seances in the White House. Oh, wow. She had suffered deep depression over the death of her 11-year-old son, who was struck down by a serious fever, most likely from typhus. She kept trying to communicate with him and hoping for some closure. Biographer Carl Sandburg wrote that she believed that the seances summoned her son's spirit to her. He wrote that Mrs. Lincoln told her half-sister Emily, quote, He lives. He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of my bed with the same sweet, adorable smile he always had. She also had another son, Robert, 
who felt that his mother's growing need to squander her money on these seances was a mental issue. <laughs> and so he had her briefly committed to an insane asylum. Wow. It was just brotherly jealousy that she was he was she was so obsessed with yeah. communicating with his yeah. dead brother. Yeah. Um, it was also rumored that President Lincoln himself had occasionally participated in these seances when he was alive. And it was printed in a couple local papers stating that the president teasingly complained that the spirit visitors liked nothing better than to give their advice on the war when what he needed was decisive victories. (laughs) (laughs) One medium, yeah, one medium who during the course of her subconscious channeling from the spirit world had declared to Lincoln that if he acted to sign and enforce the Emancipation Proclamation, it would be the crowning achievement for which he would always be remembered. Wow, she was right about that. When the session ended, the room was deathly quiet because Lincoln, at that time, had not signed the proclamation. And when asked about it, he did say it was weighing on him heavily. Hmm. So maybe that seance session was the final push he needed to make that decision. Maybe. Now, President Pierce's wife, Jane Pierce, also had seances in the White House. So there's been a lot of, uh, you know. A lot of seances in the White House. In the White House. Isn't the White House supposed to be really haunted? We need to do an episode on the White House being haunted. We need to do the White House haunting. We sure do. What's interesting about Jane Pierce, her seances that she had in the White House was conducted from none other than the... Fox sisters. Yay! Yeah. She really was grieved because her favorite son, Benny, had died in a train accident when he was only 11. Mm. So a lot of these seances are just desperate attempts to reach someone because back then all there was a lot of childhood death. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, people had to have four or five kids to have even one or two live. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And a lot of women died in childbirth. So you're making a gamble having all those kids, And people didn't even live that long back then. Yeah, they didn't. No. It was said that shortly after her seance sessions, she also received a visitation from Benny in her dreams. Oh. So sometimes, you know, the effects of these seances are not at the time of the seance, but it does allow the communication then to happen because... They say that then they get a visitation later. Now, some of the strange unexplained phenomenon regarding seances were levitation. Wow. So many objects, including, you know, you'd see pictures of tables floating in the air or jolting up sideways on its legs. That that was called table tipping. And those were most often the work of strings attached to the legs. Or you'd see musical instruments floating in the air like tambourines. But they would um, a lot of times be debunked because it was just strings that they had attached up to the ceiling. And then somehow somebody was pulling the cord and moving them. Sure. Um, And... The thing is, is that in the dark, you could never tell that, right? Right. So you're sitting in the dark, and most of the time and all you of a have sudden your... there's a saxophone in the air. Right. <laughs> and you're supposed to have your eyes closed, I think, most of the oh, time. <laughs> but, but one famous medium, Daniel Douglas Holm, made a career of his particular ability to levitate during seances. Cool. His seances, this is really awesome, were never done in the dark. So... It was hard to find anything holding him up or prove he was creating an illusion. So the room was fully lit. He had no clothes on so that you could see everything. He was checked many times before and after. He also did it in full view of, um, of everyone with lights on. 
And in 1857, five participants witnessed Home floating up in his chair five feet above the ground. And it was so convincing that the famous author, Arthur Conan Doyle, Mm -hmm. retold the story in his book, A History of Spiritualism. Oh, wow. So everybody was just like, wow, this guy is amazing. Right. Because he, he made it seem more believable. Right. Now, it seemed in some seances the medium would stay apart from the circle and deliver their messages to the group while hidden away in a cupboard. That, to (laughs) me, is pretty suspicious. (laughs) Like, why do you need to lock yourself in a cabinet? Right. Uh, One such medium, Leslie Flint, claimed the spirit would speak without using his mouth. And to prove it, he allowed himself to be bound and gagged. Leslie claimed to be speaking with dead celebrities like Winston Churchill, Oscar Wilde, and even the Greek mathematician Archimedes. He started doing seances at a very early age and used the same spirit guide to help him call for other spirits and relay helpful information. He said his guide was that of a child named Mickey, who died in 1910. Some mediums were so clever they would confess to swallowing cheesecloth and other thin material which they would then later regurgitate on the table claiming it was proof of ectoplasm. Wow. Well, I've seen pictures of this, Holly, and this white cloud-like substance. Yeah. They even had it coming out of their nose like they were possessed or something. It's how, pretty freaky. How can you how can you do that though? I like don't, how can you regurgitate something through your nose? Like, I don't know. You have to have a really immense body control. Like Houdini could do that, but he had figured out a way to contact every muscle in his body so that he could flex it in just the right way, I think. Didn't he? I think he had an ability to regurgitate things. I, That's why he I was so good about, at magic. I didn't know about regurgitating. I knew he was really like almost like a contortionist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like he could do that too. Like he could regurgitate things because he was so good at all those all those tiny little muscles he could flex them to get them to do right bring things up in 1882 the society for psychical research was founded and its main purpose was to investigate the methods and claims of these various seance sessions they sometimes would try to recreate the phenomenon and even sent members to infiltrate seance groups to gather proof for further study Well, this group is still in existence today. Really? And it operates out of the UK and has an extensive research library that's held in an archive section of the Cambridge University Library. Oh, wow. Another place we should go. Definitely. This particular story of a seance had an unexpected twist for an employee of a magic shop. Bradford J. Angers wanted to put on a realistic show creating a full seance experience when a customer gave him the idea and $100 for any supplies needed to pull it off. Bradford J. Angers and his friend, who was studying for a psychology degree, decided to help produce all the sounds and visuals. According to Angers and the guests who were invited to attend the seance, all went wonderfully well with spooky atmosphere out-of-body voices proclaiming future predictions, including a few messages from the guests departing family members and friends. There was even a wonderful white mist reported being seen rising up from the center of the table. When the seance ended, Angers went to find his friend who was in the back of the room, helping him to take down the set. But to his shock, he found his friend had accidentally been locked outside the room <laughs> and had never actually gotten into the event to operate or set up any of the equipment for the seance. 
So what the hell happened then? How so did that happen? So whatever happened was completely without any electronic or auditory assistance. The ghost that did that is like, oh yeah, this is gonna be pretty no, sweet. That is <laughs> that's an, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. That that would just blow my mind. And I'd be like, what out, do you mean? How freaked out would you be if you're like, well, I'm gonna put on this seance and I'm gonna convince these people and then afterwards you find out, oh wait a minute, none of that was and none of that was even like nothing was connected nothing was done <laughs> he totally thought he was in the back doing all that wow and he's like dude i've been locked out here i locked myself out on accident <laughs> that's very i loved cool. that story that's a good story mm-hmm. and and speaking of houdini the famous magician yes he actually started out his career doing fake seance shows well he somehow gathered a guilty conscience though after his mother died and he searched for a real way to communicate with her, but to his disappointment, there was not one medium who could relay an authentic message that he could believe was coming from his mother. Yes. So he became obsessed after that with trying to prove all seances were fake. He actually attended more than 100 sessions. After that, he went on to become a famous escape artist, but never got over his obsession because he left a request to his wife, Bess, asking for her to try to contact him when he dies using a seance. So there was part of him that actually believed it was real. Right. Well, he wanted it because he wanted to be able to communicate with mom. I mean, we all hope it's real. Don't don't you think? We all want to make sure when we die, we're going to be able to see everyone that we right. love again. So we right. all want that. I and, I, and I do think that even the act of ritual, whether you're faking it or not, can produce results because yeah. you're putting out the energy right you're putting out the intent yeah and, and that's if, key and if you have enough passion yeah. and enough desperation i yeah. think you will get some sort of response you can pull something in right yeah well to this day nobody has had proof of houdini communicating or appearing and fans who know the story have certainly tried every year on the anniversary of his passing with no luck Perhaps he's in a place where he can't escape. (laughs) (laughs) To I see your seance story and I raise you Ouija boards. Yes, Ouija boards. The next level of seances. The next level. So if you're going to sit around and hold hands and talk to spirits, you're going to need a Ouija board. (laughs) Ouija boards are a descendant of talking boards that came about during the spiritualist movement of the 1840s. Coincidentally. Just like what you were talking about. Excellent. The Ouija board is a flat plastic board that has all the letters of the alphabet, numbers 0 through 9, and the words yes, no, and goodbye painted on it. To use the board, the individual or sitter, if you will, will ask questions to the quote-unquote spirits. The sitter will then place their fingers on a heart-shaped planchette that is guided by said spirit to point to the letters or numbers or words on the board that the spirit wants to communicate to the sitter. The planchette will move to individual letters when spelling out a word or individual numbers when giving mathematical information or to the words yes or no when asked a yes or no question. When the spirit is done talking to the sitter, it will move the planchette to the word goodbye. 
Goodbye. But what they should do is make a board that says, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your face. <laughs> so, you know, when that, I mean, you could have goodbye as an option and fuck yeah. off. So if the, the spirit's really pissed at you, it's going to tell you to fuck off. Right. Wouldn't I love that. that. We yeah. should do like um, Ouija boards of humanity. <laughs> <Or> like, you <laughs> know, rather than cards of humanity. Yeah, that would be really fun. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, yeah. nobody take that idea. That's ours. Yeah. We're patenting it right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so talking boards reached great popularity during the end of the Civil War, as many people wanted to contact those that they had lost during the battles. Mm -hmm. The talking boards remained popular until 1890 when a man named Elijah Bond patented the planchettes and sold them with the talking boards. The name Ouija came about later where a man named William Fold, who took over Bond's company, changed the talking board's name to Ouija. Is it Ouija or Ouija? You know, I think I've heard it both ways. I'm not entirely sure what the correct pronunciation is. Mm -hmm. um, the word Ouija or Ouija originally came from Charles Kennard, whose company manufactured the boards. He claimed that he learned the word Ouija from the board itself and that it means good luck in ancient Egyptian, <laughs> which Ooh. is really kind of cool. Like, hey, good luck with your ghost talk wow. <laughs> however fold told everyone that the word was a combination of french and german words that mean yes so i know we is oh, yeah. french for yes and i guess jaw is german for yes. Ja. oui ja yeah ja oui ja okay there you go sure fold took credit for creating the name and then watched the newly named boards sell like hotcakes ouija boards were sold from william fold to parker brothers in 1966 the Parker Brothers manufactured the Ouija boards in Salem, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. That's Woo! right. Until they sold the Ouija board line to Hasbro in 1991. Hasbro is the current owner of all Ouija board patents and trademarks. Isn't that perfect place to manufacture a, a Ouija board? A child's toy company <laughs> yeah. is now well, manufacturing. The a child's toy company manufacturing tools to talk to the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Salem, Massachusetts. That's great. Hasbro. Oh, good job. <laughs> okay. Of course, the board has religious implications and was rejected by many Christian groups as being evil and associated with demons and the devil, and using one would violate the Ten Commandments. <laughs> In 2001, Ouija boards, as well as Harry Potter books, Carol, what? were burned after they were deemed symbols of witchcraft by <gasps> fundamentalist groups. Holly, you included Harry. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> but I, I included him in a way where he gets destroyed, and I'm very oh sorry my, about that. Oh, my Lord, yes. <laughs> That's not good. However, science says that something called the ideomotor effect is what actually causes the boards to work. The ideomotor effect suggests that the sitter or sitters is actually the one moving the planchette unconsciously. However, in a 2012 study, Carol... Of the Ouija board, the board proved to be significantly more accurate with yes-no questions than guesswork. Scientists explained this away by saying the subconscious beliefs of the sitter probably led to this result. Um, according to Professor... Yeah, so let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> let's just move on. Let's just move on like they did. According to Professor of Neurology Terrence Hines in his book Pseudoscience and the Paranormal, he suggested that working with a Ouija board and the idea motor effect causes a dissociated state that helps produce the, these responses. However, a dissociated state is what psychics use to receive information. So couldn't that be a paranormal argument for why the Ouija board works? 
I like it. I like it too. I mean, I think to me that would make sense. It does make sense. Because, you know, mediums go into a trance and that's how they get their information. That's dissociative. So, you know. Let's do it. Let's, okay. Let's go with that. <laughs> so anyway, the scientific theories do not explain what happened to Robbie Mannheim. Robbie Mannheim was a 14-year-old boy living in 1940s Maryland when his beloved aunt passed away. He started playing with his aunt's Ouija board in order to contact her. Robbie was a shy kid, but when he started playing with the Ouija, things began to change. His family started to hear strange noises in their home, and they would find their possessions smashed into pieces. They realized that this happened whenever Robbie was around. Mm. Robbie developed welts and other markings on his body. His personality changed, and he lashed out at his parents and swore at them. I mean, this really could just be puberty, right? Right. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. I'm like, what did yeah. you do? Did you take I mean, away his Nintendo? Because yeah. that'll do it. He's 14. I mean, oh. come on. What do you expect? But Robbie would also talk to them in Latin, which was something new. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So that... That is very much that's a, a different thing. That's a different thing. That's not a 14-year-old mm, thing. No. Uh, one night, his mother went to check on him and saw him sitting in the middle of his bed. The whole bed was rattling. Well, so maybe he bought a massage. No. <laughs> 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 Trying to explain all this away. Yeah, right. Um, his family turned to their church for help. When their reverend came to meet Robbie, he found he was surrounded by moving furniture and strange sounds. Robbie spoke in an evil voice and stared blankly. The reverend was like, oh, fuck, and contacted the Catholic <laughs> Church and got them involved. <laughs> I'm sure the reverend was cussing. Yeah, it would be too if I walked into that situation. Yeah. <laughs> the Catholic Church had the boy moved to Georgetown University Hospital. Robbie had to be restrained as he was enraged to be there. The Catholic priest spent three days exercising Robbie at the hospital. Robbie spewed hate at him, foamed at the mouth, and thrashed around. He even broke free of his restraints at one point and used a bed spring he had ripped out of the bed to attack the priest. You know what? That sounds like rabies. Foaming at the mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe it was. Um, the priest finally gave up and asked two other priests to intervene. They moved Robbie to a psych ward and spent another six weeks in over 30 exorcisms Whoa. trying to rid him of the evil inside. The 30 exorcisms? <laughs> yes. The two new priests also could not free Robbie of his rage-filled demons. So, however, the priests ended up giving Robbie communion, and a few days later, Robbie sat up and said, Satan, Satan, <laughs> I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body now. So the priests were working on him and working on him, and he was in the psych ward, and they right. couldn't figure it out, and they gave him communion. Now, I'm not sure if that that's what did it but was uh, it real wine because <laughs> yeah, that makes a difference lace with a dmt no, no i don't know but he eventually sat up in bed and said satan satan i am saint michael and i command you satan and the other evil spirits to leave the body now so it sounds like saint michael came into his body and forced the bad guys out okay i love it so the priests are probably praying to saint michael and saying help us and saint michael said oh yeah okay <laughs> That's what I'm thinking happened. Okay, you can't see this, people, but my jaw is, like, opened. That's an amazing <laughs> story. It's not over. That's not even the best part of the story. Um, after that, Robbie was fine, and his life eventually went back to normal. Again, it was probably just puberty. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, again, it was just communion. No. Powerful stuff. No. I will never say. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, go ahead. Again, I think it was just a, a little kid growing up. 
But in 1971, William Peter Blatty sat down at his typewriter and pounded out a novel about the possession of Robbie Mannheim. He named his book The Exorcist. Oh, yes. Okay, I was going to ask you because I did hear that The Exorcist was actually of a yeah. little boy, not a little girl. Yes, yes, that was Robbie Mannheim. Oh. The Exorcist was made into a movie that is considered to be one of the scariest films of all time. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, and it was. <laughs> Still is. Several films and documentaries have also been made about the possession of Robbie Mannheim, and thus the real evil association to the Ouija board began. Yeah, well, good for good reason. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know it can get you possessed by Satan, so why would you touch him, right? Right. Have you have you ever played with a Ouija board? Yeah, when I was a kid, but not since Would then. you ever own one? Mm, probably not. You know, I... They just I, give me the heebie-jeebies. They, they do me, too, and it, it's weird because it's you think it's just an inanimate object. Like, I don't know why. I think, like, for tarot cards... Yeah. I don't... I don't get that same vibe. I don't get that vibe at all yeah. because I, maybe because I started with playing cards right. first. Right. And also you can buy tarot cards that have cute cats on them. <laughs> yes, you can. We own them, don't we? <laughs> meow, meow. Yep. Meow, meow cats. Well, gosh, in our tarot episode, Curious we should cats. talk about all the different tarot decks you can buy. You can. And you can even get an angel deck with like St. Michael on it. Yes. And so I feel like... Maybe if they start making, you know, rainbow, sunshine, unicorn uh, Ouija boards, they might... Ones that say goodbye and fuck off? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they should have one that says you've now been possessed by Satan. Like, that should be an option on the board. <laughs> so you know. So you know for sure. So you happened. know. If the yeah. planchette moves over here, then I'm totally fucked. And then one on the other side that says, I'm St. Michael. Yes. And I protect you from the evil spirits that are yeah. inhabited this, in this board. Well, and I heard that if you are, I know this is your story, so I'm going to shut no, up. No, no, no. It's great. I love it. I heard that when you do own one of those boards, it's really important. And they, I don't think they give you instructions, really. <laughs> no. But it's really important to, like, shut the board down. Like, you want to close out the session because if you don't, you're basically. Leaving a portal open. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's why you have, to do, the good, you have to do the goodbye. You have you to have make sure to. it goes to goodbye before you're done. Yeah. And burn the board and afterwards. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. <laughs> so um, in August of 2000, another Ouija board possession came out in the media. The Orange County Register reported that some inmates at the Santa Clara County Jail made a circle and started playing with a Ouija board. They started communicating with a spirit of a woman that said she had been murdered. The inmates asked her how she was murdered, and she spelled out the word investigate, which is kind of cool. Wow. What, what a way to give <laughs> some entertainment to the inmates. So if you want to know how I was killed, you guys need to investigate, which is going to be really tough because you're in jail. So I'm not sure how you're going to do that. Basically pointing the fact that it's one of you guys. It's one of you guys. Just Rat ask, each other out. Ask around. One of you, one yeah. of you knows what happened to I me. Mean, maybe that's what she meant. Um, apparently, the inmates had created the board themselves using the back of a Scrabble game board and writing in the letters, numbers, and words. Clever. Mm -hmm. They used a piece of cardboard as the planchette. They conducted their Ouija board sessions in the dark bathroom over a series of nights. Trying to picture this now. A group of men in a dark <laughs> bathroom in a prison. The prisoners started to sense there was a presence in the bathroom. When they asked the board if anyone was in the bathroom, the planchette started to spin of its own volition. The, inma the inmates then took off. According to the website, thebarrencall.org, quote, inmate Marcos Vasquez, 
said he looked at the board on the floor of the bathroom and then turned to face the others. I felt cold and bigger, the 26-year-old said. I was filled with anger and talked in this deeper voice I had never had. Inmates thought Vasquez was acting, but the drama continued. By the third day, three inmates, including Vasquez, feared that they were possessed. A few days later, correctional officers found inmates crying and flailing their arms, all under the legitimate belief that they were possessed. <laughs> the jail called for a priest who spent two days counseling and blessing the inmates and sprinkling holy water on them and in their dormitories. He ended up blessing 29 prisoners in all. Wow. The inmates swore they would never touch another Ouija board again. But um, but it's it's interesting. And, of course, when you ask people about their Ouija board experiences, everybody's got... 10 different stories about something creepy that happened to them. Like, mm -hmm. you can't escape it. Everywhere you turn, there's someone with a Ouija board story that makes you go, ooh, evil. You know, I mean, right. it just kind of has that reputation. And then in 19, well, this was actually before this happened. In 1920, the Oakland Tribune ran an article about four El Cerrito, California women who were committed to an insane asylum after playing with a Ouija board. Josephine wow. Soldovini, Maria Moro, Santini Botany, and Adeline Botany, her daughter, were committed by a judge. There was no real indication of what made these women seem insane except for a faraway look. So it's unclear to me what happened to get these women committed. But um, the so fact they that were like comatose. I guess the article is incredibly vague about why they were sent to this um, insane asylum, but it's very weird. Very strange. But it wasn't in, in the paper. So, yeah, it happens. It's weird. Um, so the Ouija board has been involved in murders, too. In 1933, a 15-year-old girl shot her father and killed him. When asked why she did it, she said, because the board cannot be denied. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Maddie Turley of Prescott, Arizona, and her mother, Doretha Irene Turley, were playing with the board when the board told Maddie she needed to shoot daddy after he milked the cows, <laughs> which is kind of a funny, wow. yeah, he gets done milking those cows. You know what to do. The board told her she would not get caught. No, the mother, also a yeah, positive thing. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah, just do it. The mother and daughter, they consulted a deck of playing cards to validate the command of the board. I'm assuming that they use the playing cards like a deck of tarot cards. Right. Right. Uh, so Maddie shot her father in the back. Maddie tried to play it off as an accident at first, but the evidence did not support her explanations. As it turned out, her mother, Doretha, wanted to marry another man, so she manipulated her daughter into murdering her own father so that she would be free to be with her lover, which is horrible. So she manipulated her into thinking the seance board or the Ouija, the Ouija board, board was talking to her. Yes, and made her think that she needed to kill her dad. Oh, that's messed up. That's really fucked up. Maddie was sentenced to a reformatory and then paroled. Her mother was arrested and sentenced to 10 to 25 years. However, she appealed her conviction and was set free in 1936, which is just three years after the murder. So she spent like pretty much no time in prison, which is terrible. Yeah. It's just terrible. I wonder why they um, just let her off so easy. Somehow the she got a good attorney, apparently, and she appealed her stuff and they let her go. I don't know. So the Ouija board has also made its appearance in a court of law. And this is a really kind of interesting story, I think. Um, hmm. In 1994, an insurance broker from England named Stephen Young was convicted of the double murder of Harry and Nicola Fuller. The couple had been found shot to death in their home. 
The trial by jury went on for five weeks. However, though Young was found guilty, a month after his conviction, a story came out that turned the tables on the conviction. Apparently, four members of the jury that had been sequestered together created a Ouija board and used a wine glass as their planchette <laughs> to ask what they should do regarding the case. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? That is messed up. I that know. you're going to just not be able to make a decision. <laughs> so you're going to be like, oh, does anybody have the eight ball? <laughs> just shake the eight ball. Let's make a Ouija board. <laughs> the jurors claimed that they were communicating with the spirit of Harry Fuller, one of the victims of the crime. When they asked him who killed him, he spelled out Stephen Young. When they asked how, he spelled out shot. Then the jurors said the glass spelled out vote guilty tomorrow. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. When this new information came out, the conviction was thrown out and Stephen Young was tried again. And again, he was found guilty. Can you believe that? I, I almost, that's just unheard of. I know. That they would that, I mean, use that. First of all, I've been on a jury before. I've been on a couple juries. Me too. And they're, you're not supposed to discuss the case. Now, this was no. in England, so maybe they have different rules. But they clearly were sequestered together. They probably became close friends. And they probably, after five weeks, were probably like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just talk about it. I know. Let's ask the Ouija board what we should do. Right. <laughs> so that's how Because we're not it. talking to each other. <laughs> right? Nod, nod. <laughs> wink, wink. So, um, obviously, we just talked about the fact that we know everybody who has Ouija board stories. And my sister, Rosemary, has always been a huge anti-Ouija board person. And, in fact, when I told her that I was doing Ouija boards, she said, no, that is Satan. Oh, because (laughs) even just talking about them is taboo. I said, look, I'm not going to play with one. I just want to talk about them. And so I asked her for her stories. So she sent me a couple stories, and I'm going to read those to you from my my text. Gives it a little bit of a personal twist here. So she says, uh, when I was in the sixth grade, I went to a slumber party, and the other girls were playing with the Ouija board. They asked the Ouija board if it liked me, and it said no. Oh, poor Rosemary. (laughs) And it said some other weird things, and they all looked at each other weird. So I don't think they were pushing the planchette. It scared me. Then I went upstairs, and a picture fell on me. It really freaked me out. Yeah. So that was her her creepy story with the Ouija board. But her husband, Bob, he has a really interesting story, too. Um, And she also sent that to me. When Bob was in college and living in the dorms, there were a bunch of kids in the dorm playing with a Ouija board. There was a bad kid that nobody liked, and the Ouija board really liked him a lot. Ouija board said it did not like Bob. Bob wasn't playing with it. He was just watching. They asked why the board didn't like Bob, and the board spelled out Bob's birthday. Nobody there knew his birthday. Oh, whoa. I've got chills. Isn't that creepy? That is so creepy. Yeah. I always thought that was a good Ouija board creepy story. But That is so good. I know. Isn't that fun? But not all Ouija board stories are bad, Carol. Um, take oh. the story of Pearl Curran and Patience Worth. Pearl Curran lived with her husband in 1912 in the Midwest. One day, she and her friend Emily went to a neighbor's house who had a Ouija board. While using the board, a relative of Emily's came through, so Emily bought a Ouija board to continue the communications. She took the board to Pearl's house so they could both use it. That is when a spirit by the name of Patience Worth came through and contacted Pearl. Patience started to dictate poems and literature to Pearl, in which Pearl would write them down. She claimed that the pointer would just move aimlessly around on the board while she was writing. 
According to Wikipedia, Pearl claimed that, quote, I am like a child with a magic picture book. Once I look upon it, all I have to do is watch its pages open before me and revel in their beauty and variety and novelty. When the poems come, there also appear before my eyes images of each successive symbol as the words are given me. When the stories come, the scenes become panoramic with the characters moving and acting their parts, even speaking in converse, end quote. So she has like a full on vision. She can see and she can hear. So she claimed she could always hear patients directing her in the story and telling her what to write down. So Pearl channeled patients to write several novels, including Telka, The Sorry Tale, Hope, True Blood, and The Pot Upon the Wheel, Samuel Wheaton, and an Elizabethan mask. They also collaborated on many short stories and poems. The writings were considered to be very good. And when their literary works were printed, Patience Worth was given author credit. Oh, wow. So, however, on November 25th, 1937, Pearl received her last communication from Patience. Patience warned Pearl that Pearl was going to pass soon. So Pearl told her friend that she would not be around for much longer. Though Pearl was in great health, she somehow developed pneumonia and passed away a few weeks later on December 3rd, 1937. That is so freaky. Isn't that freaky? Wow. Yeah. So the Ouija board, yeah, it can go badly in the cases of Robbie Mannheim and those prisoners yeah. or with my sister and her husband. But then you also have these kind of interesting stories where if you get a good channel coming through, mm -hmm. then maybe it's, you know, kind of interesting. So if you want to learn more about Ouija boards and have decided to venture to another place that we, you and I need to go, Salem, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. um, then be sure to check out the Salem Witch Board Museum. The Salem Witch Board Museum is dedicated to the history of the talking board slash Ouija board. They have a lot of old Ouija boards as well as a seance room, Carol, that includes awesome. a Ouija board so you can take a crack at connecting with the spirits. Since the Ouija board was manufactured in Salem, Mass. for years, it seemed especially appropriate to have a museum in its honor in the most witchy city in America. And in 2019, the Talking Board Historical Society debuted Ouijazilla, the world's largest Ouija board, also in Salem, Massachusetts. The board is 3,168 square feet, Whoa. weighs over 9,000 pounds, it was made of 99 sheets of plywood, <laughs> and the planchette weighs in at 400 pounds and is 15 and a half feet long. And does it work? <clears throat> yes. This Ouijazilla board was deemed to be the largest Ouija board in the world by Ripley's Believe It or Not. Look how big it is. Oh, wow. And then, so there's video, but there's also some really good shots of photos of it on Instagram. That's the planchette. So you can stand in the, in the center where the hole is and move the planchette around on the board. It's really <laughs> It funny. looks like a baby walker. I know, the right? The planchette. I where know. you're able to, like, get in the middle of it. Isn't that funny? Anyways, that's Ouija boards. I love it. Woo! And you've confirmed it. Don't ever want one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just, um... They're just right there. You just never know what you're going to get. You know, they're just a little bit on the wrong side of the track for mm -hmm. me, I guess. And thanks, Rosemary and Bob, for lending us thanks your you stories. Guys. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. I always make jokes to Rosemary that I'm going to get her a Ouija board for <laughs> her birthday. She's like, don't you dare. I thought it'd be fun if I could, like, sneak one into her house. <laughs> she just stumbles across it one time. She's like, oh, my God, what's this doing here? <laughs> that would be really funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so mean. We 
should make a book of all the places that we that never we went should go <laughs> that and we that we never to. will go. <laughs> I wish I could do a good Mickey Mouse impression, but I don't know how to do that. Oh. However, the priests ended up giving Robbie communion, and a few days later, Robbie sat up and said, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you burped. That was some really good timing there, Holly. That was amazing. I did not plan to do that. <clears throat> wow. You got the devil in you. I sure do. <laughs> He's trying to come out tonight. He's trying to stop this story from being told by, by <gasps> keep holding my tongue, clearly. Did the Ouija board said we should we have sex? Oh, it pointed to yes. <laughs> <laughs> As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode. <laughs>